Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. My name is Reverend Jason Warren Griffiths. On behalf of the team and I, I'm glad you're here. A um, couple announcements. One of them is today's Communion Sunday, first Sunday of the month. It's also Labor Day weekend. Um, so we're having a church picnic right after. So those of you listening on the podcast, uh, have your elements ready. Later in the service, um, tonight we're going to be barbecuing a comeback. If you feel like barbecuing and being in the heat more, uh, and we're going to eat some hot dogs, and we're going to pray and worship, and pray for our session, pray for our leadership, pray for what God has next. It's a thing that started at the end of July, and kind of do it the first Sunday of every month for a little bit. Um, sorry, I'm Debbie Downer, but before I do the Debbie Downer stuff, um, hymn sing next Saturday, September 10th. Don't miss it. I'm serious. The last time it bust my socks off. Cornell and Michael were doing this thing with two people on the piano. Yeah. Anywho, so make sure you go back to that. Uh, come back on this Saturday. That's this Saturday. Yeah. It's this Saturday. It's going to be Christmas soon. That's what, that's what Labor Day means, right? It means tomorrow is Christmas. Um, I'm kind of down. Yeah. Right. Uh, I got some news. Remember, we were praying for Dan. Um, they found a tumor in his, in his brain. They removed it. It's cancerous. We were just praying for Dan and his wife, Brittany, um, and to fight that aggressively. And then right as I was arriving, Chuck... Dave Berard, a member here, um, he lost a, a son earlier this year, and now a son of that son, this guy named Scott Dave Berard, he's a 20-year-old, and uh, they found a tumor in his back, and so, um, man, the hits just keep on coming, man, um, and he's down at Mission Hospital, that's where I did my CPE, and we share that family with a sister Presbyterian Church, John McKega, a buddy of mine, is the pastor of Late Son Bill's, or Bob's. Um, yeah, anywho, my head's all over the place. Let's pray. Maybe that's a good idea. God, I just, I left up Scott and his young body. I pray that you would help the doctors, help the nurses, help everyone involved, um, Find a solution. Heal, O oh great physician, O oh God of power and might. Show up. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Let's, let's stand for this morning's call to worship. And it comes from Psalm 139. I'm going to read verses 1, 5, and 6 from the Passion Translation. Lord, you know every thing there is to know about me. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You've laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Let's sing of the great faithfulness of God.
Please be seated and send the students and children forward. Hey, this is a good spot. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the weekend that we marked the end of World War II, which was, February, which was September 2nd, 1945, 77 years ago, this weekend. And I got thinking, how can I tie this in? I'm such a history buff. And I looked up chaplains. Those of you, and a lot of kids, the chaplains serve American troops by giving them spirit guidance through hard times. And we lost 77 of them in World War II. And the most well-known incident of that happening was February 3, 1945, and when the USS Dorchester went down, and we had 900 men on there, and there were four chaplains that got the wounded, got the people off the boat, and they were running out of life jackets. And so all four chaplains gave up their jackets to save other people. And it was known by the survivors to see them holding hands together, praying together, singing hum when the ship went down. And it was such a major incident in U.S. history that the U.S. Congress gave them equivalent to the Medal of Honor afterwards. And, you know, that's the greatest love that Christ always talks about. It's a giving your life to your fellow man. That's how you can show the real friendship. And that's what Christ does for us. Because he died, and those of us who believe in him will have eternal life. And let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our listeners. Thank you for everybody here. Bless the children as we get ready to go off to Sunday school. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Shout your praise 
This morning, we come before God, not as despised sinners, but as his beloved children, with the confidence of the children of God. Let us humbly, together, confess our transgressions against God and our neighbor. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. My brothers and sisters, know that God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. In the surpassing love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, know that each one of us is forgiven. Amen and amen. Please stand.
Starting off a new series, new, new month, new school year. It's going to be on Moses. We're going to look, take a look at the, the, the leader, the man, Moses. There's a couple reasons for this. One is fall is just an Old Testament time for me. It's the time of the season where, like, it's the time of the year where I get reflective, get pensive, Start reading and writing poetry. I don't know if anybody else is into that. Anybody else change and become more pensive in the fall? Is that me? Me alone? Okay. Perfect. It's good to relate with your congregation. (laughs) You know? Uh, What's the first Bible story you remember hearing? Zacchaeus. Interesting. Okay. Joseph, coat of many colors, Noah's Ark, David and Goliath. I remember my dad reading me uh, the story of Samson. That was the first thing I remember of the Bible. I think a lot of people, it's the Exodus event. It's the... it's, It's a ginormous event in human history. And um, Moses, and this is the primary reason we're studying Moses, taking a look at this, this text, taking a look at the law, the first five books of the Bible, and the key figure, Moses, it gives us perspective. List the problems you have in your life right now, mentally. They're not new. And every time you open the Old Testament, and especially as we look at Moses, you'll see he went through this a long time ago in pre-Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit. Anyway, let's get, the, let's get to the text. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 2, and we're actually going to Start with the origin story of Moses. And this is Exodus chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read the first 10 verses. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it 
with bitumen, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. First, I want to back up and read you verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born of the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. I probably should have said that at the beginning. This, too, is the word of the Lord. (laughs) That's kind of fun. I've never... You kind of don't hear that. I always remember... Kill the firstborn child. Throw the firstborn in the Nile. I wonder how many baskets are floating down the Nile. Right? So there's probably a bunch of baskets floating down the Nile. That's the precursor that I usually overlook. Um, One commentator says this, Pharaoh's scheme will again be frustrated as the future liberator of the Hebrews will be placed, not flung in the Nile, and emerge eventually to cause grief to Egypt. You see, going into the story, and the, over, the huge point is God is in charge. Once again, that's the point of this text. God is in charge and moves things around in ways that you can't possibly understand. We, in our daily lives, we see a lot of people say, it's, or some people have said, we see so small of a picture of what is going on in the world. They've likened it to we look through a a hole in a fence and we see just that which is going by. But in actuality, there's this whole universe amongst on both sides of the fence just moving, living, and breathing. And you first enter into this text and you realize, wow, what a God we serve. 
Did you follow the story? Did you follow the narrative? The king of Egypt is saying, I don't want the Hebrews to cause a problem. Let's get rid of all the firstborn sons. Not a very logical pharaoh, right? Right? Because where do babies come from? Females, right? (laughs) If you want to get rid of Hebrews, you get rid of the female. Anyway, that's a different story. So he's playing a dumb game, but he's, he's intent on killing all the Hebrew firstborn. And then this woman, they don't name them. They name them later in the text. All the women are named in 620. Why do you think they're not named when they're first introduced? The scholars think it's the same reason Jesus was born in Nazareth. He could be anybody. He's a small town hero. He is no one and he's everyone, right? He represents us. So, these women, pause for a second. Obvious. Here's a Captain Obvious here. I'll ask you a question. Um, <laughs> I've lost this three times on the way here. Uh, Malia found it. Otherwise, I wouldn't. We wouldn't have the second page of our uh, sermon today. Uh, I'm not even going to ask it a question. I'm just going to say it. Without Moses' mom, no Moses. The heroes of the story are these women. Right? The mother of Moses puts Moses in this basket. And so there's a foreshadowing of Moses being born kind of like everybody. Not spectacular, Nothing wild or out of this world about it. She puts him in this basket. That basket in Hebrew is ark. So there's echoes. There's echoes. Let me look up the word. Man, I can't read my own writing sometimes. Hold on a second. Maybe I didn't write it down. Oh, there it is. There it is. Shoot. Tavua. Everybody say that with me after all that work. Tavua. Okay, sorry. Ark. So we got this foreshadowing of Jesus. We got this foreshadowing of um, every person showing up on the scene. And then we have echoes of Noah. Moses is put in the ark and put down, and it goes around the corner. And it, you can see God just, just moving things around, Right? Who ends up saving Moses? 
the Pharaoh's daughter. Did somebody say that? Can you see the irony? Right? Can you see the irony? The daughter of the Israelite's killer saves the man who will save the Israelites. And not only that, God trumps it. He, like, he, he one-ups the story. Because here's mom, puts it in the thing. Helper, Israelite's daughter, says, or uh, Pharaoh's daughter, says, you take this and find a wet nurse. Someone to nurse this baby. Ends back up in the mother's arms to be raised by him, by raised by her. Right? I was just, uh, my, t- my son just turned 17. And he just passed his permits, whatever. He did a written test. Um, and this was Friday. He came over to hug me, and I was kind of laying on the couch. And I grabbed him, and I just pulled on him. <laughs> and he's 6'2". He's like a little shorter than me. But I'm just laying on top. He's laying on top of me, and I'm just squeezing him like this. And I had flashbacks. Do you remember? I don't know. When we, when we gave birth to our kids, they were saying, you should... Lay with your, your child naked. They're just in a diaper and put them on your bare chest. Does anybody else hear that or is my doctor weird? <laughs> it's, there's something about the skin on skin. And I think of those years of Moses' Moses's mom, Miriam, sending him away thinking he's going to die and then having him back and just holding him. So there's echoes of Noah, there's foreshadowings of Jesus, and then it ends by telling us his name. And you've heard me talk, Moses, names were a big deal in Hebrew and in Greek, right? I usually use the illustration, anybody seen uh, Dances with Wolves? Remember, like the Native Americans, they had the dances with wolves, Tadunka. You know, like they, 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 there was depth and there was meaning in names. And when you were saying Jason in Greek, Jason isn't, it means healer. So it was like calling, calling me doctor. Every time you, call, yeah, you talk to me, you say, hey, doctor. Hey, healer. Um, Johns were Beloved. You were reminded every single time. Anybody named John in here? We don't have any Johns in our church? That's, never mind. <laughs> That's funny right there. All right, we'll come back to this text. What's he named? Moses, yes, no. <laughs> it says the name. He's named Drawn Out of Water. Drawn out of water. What's that foreshadowing? 
Jesus' baptism, absolutely. But imagine you don't know Jesus yet. Imagine you, this is to the original Hebrew audience. Exodus event. This table. His name, it's just like when Jesus showed, and you shall name him what? Emmanuel, God with you. God with us. Right? It's crazy. And he was named Exodus guy. Right? He was named hero who's going to part the Red Sea. It was all pointing to this. Which is actually, the Exodus meant, for this text, it's foreshadowing the Exodus event. And the Exodus event is foreshadowing what? What did I talk about on Easter? Resurrection. Do you remember my, my resurrection sermon? Does anybody hear over Easter? I've been a big point with my, I, w- I want to keep repeating it. We've missed it as a church. We've missed a huge part of the cross. We've a, missed a huge part of why Jesus came. Because did he come on Yom Kippur? No, he did not. If he came on Yom Kippur, our atonement for our sins is the primary objective. Yes, he did pay for our sins. And yes, he did atone for our sins on the cross. But when did he come? He came on Passover. He came so that we could do this and say, every time you do this, remember, you are set free from this world. Moses came for the first Exodus event to release them from... from, to release the people of God from slavery from Egypt. Jesus came so that the kingdom people, the people that put Jesus on the throne of their lives and enter into the kingdom of God as they walk after him, filled by the Spirit, are set free from this world. The second Exodus event. This table says, you are free. You are no longer slaves to sin and death. You no longer have to live by the rules of this place, this world. You live by the rules of who? Jesus the Christ. Yeshua Mashiach. God amongst us. Joshua, which is Jesus, rescuer, Messiah, redeemer. We were going to roll straight into communion, but we're not going to, because we're going to keep preparing our hearts. And as we do so, what do you need to leave behind as you approach this table? What have you involuntarily shackled yourself to? How are you living like a slave to this world? I have some bad news. We've all unshackled ourselves to this world rubs off on us. But I have even better news that dwarfs that bad news. It's as simple as leaving it here. It's as simple as saying, God, 
Help me to live as you've made me to be. A second Exodus person, a redeemed, a ransomed, a free person. Amen? As we continue in worship, as you continue to pray about those things to leave at the foot of the cross, now it's part of the service where we participate in the adventure of this outpost by giving our tithes and our offerings. This morning's tithes and offerings are now received. If you're in the sanctuary, you leave them on the plate on the way back, on your way out. And if you're listening on the podcast, you mail them to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, P.O. Box 2128, Costa Mesa, California, 92628.
put kneeling stations in this place. Right? No. I love that song. That posture is so key to being kingdom people, to being second exodus people, to coming to this table, because this table isn't for the person that has all their answers. This, pa- this, this table is for the needy. This table is for the least and the lost and the broken. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is Jesus' table. And anyone who clings to our King for both salvation, healing, and power is welcome. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, precious Lord Jesus, powerful Spirit, raise us up. Help us to live in the kingdom triumphant even amidst the kingdom of this world. Help us by your spirit. Fill us with these elements that we might live as your servants and your servants alone. We ask all this in the name of Christ Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. He gathered around that table with his 12 closest friends. And they were celebrating the Passover meal, and they looked at the bread, and he said, this used to be something. This used to meant it was unleavened. It would remind everyone in the room they had to get out of Egypt so fast they couldn't wait for the bread to rise. That's how fast being set free from slavery happened. Instantaneous. Notice they were celebrating the Passover meals, probably unleavened bread. Instantaneous. He says this doesn't represent that anymore. This represents getting out of this place, out of this world, entering into the kingdom of God through me, my body broken for you. Broke the bread. Anybody has these little pod things? You peel back and get to the wafer. I have the real deal, so I'm going to eat this bread. But this, this, this is Christ's body. Broken for you, Ian. Broken for you. Broken for me. Take, eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood, poured out for you. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's saving grace until he comes again. Jesus said, take and drink. Do so.
Pray with me. Holy God, we thank you for this feast of grace and life. Mm. As we have been served, help us to serve our neighbors. As we have been fed, help us to feed all who are hungry. As we have been loved, help us to love the world, because in Christ you have loved us. Amen. Right after the service, everyone's invited to participate in the church picnic. I'm glad there's so many faces here, and we're going to be celebrating, and it's going to be excellent. But for now, where you're seated, put your hands out like this and receive this morning's benediction. May God's face shine upon you. May the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit guard and keep you. And may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds today, tomorrow, and forevermore. May it be so. Amen. Yeah.